but it doesn't matter what's happening. You have to commit to growing through this crisis. You must orient yourself to saying, I am going to grow. And then the second thing to do in a crisis is look to the future and figure out your future plans. Here's the issue in crisis. I've, and by the way, I've been through a few of them. And my businesses have, have grown through the Argentine economic crisis, through the dot-com crisis, through 9-11. Katie and I put a company on the Inc. 500 list. We were bankrupt in 2007, liquid millionaires in 2008, on the Inc. 500 list in 2011 with the 21st fastest growing company in the country. Wow. And the way we did it was by... You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Think Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and we have quite possibly one of the most exciting people I've ever interviewed here today. Um, he says he's an expert everywhere, so just call him a business coach because he's been doing it for so long. And there's probably there's probably some truth to that. He has worked with um, many, many of the people that I have had on this podcast. He's worked with Russell Brunson. He's worked with Marley uh, Jax. He's worked with Brad Gibb. He's worked with Steve Larson. He has worked with a whole slew of people. Uh, he is, I don't know, he didn't really give me anything to go off of, so we're just going to call him a a mathematician genius, a business coach genius, and someone that's like super, super smart. Alex Sharfman, man, welcome to Think Different Theory. Thanks, Josh. You know, I, I, I should have let you off the hook there. If, if you wanted to like quali quantify what I do, it's really process, structure, and routine to create efficiency and growth. That's it. The, and that's like a genius talking. You're like, that's it. I mean, I feel like that's what everybody wants in their whole life and business. And you're like, yeah, that's all I do, just casually, right? Um, you also have a very unique voice. How often yeah, do you, do you hear of, that? I hear that all the time. You know, I, uh, when I was a kid, I had a very flat monotone voice and I used to get made fun of a lot. My kids in school called me a robot. So I used to listen to America's Top 40 with Casey Kasem and I listened to his intonation and I started talking like Casey Kasem when I was younger. And so uh, I think I have like a radio voice because when I was a kid, it was something that I really wanted to make go away. I also had a Latin American accent. I was born in Mexico. So I did everything I could to acquire like a American sounding American accent. So that might be why. Oh my <laughs> word. So you had all sorts of voice input uh, changes in your life growing up. Oh yeah. When I was a kid, I like, I was, I was not the cool kid. I was, I was always different, always fundamentally different than the kids around me. I didn't get along with teachers very well. Didn't get along with the other students very well. I was a very unique kid. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what's driven my success is that I'm so crazy different. I think you have, kind of a similar similar experience yeah i would say so i i definitely feel that way at least um growing up i was always the black sheep so you know and now i i look at that and i use it as a superpower and i'm like i totally own it it's part of my identity right but like growing up that was uh it was something i had to deal with and like kind of work through um uh, for sure but okay i yeah. i want to i, mean, I want to oh, good no, I was just going to say, is, is it okay if I do? Oh, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, so I have this theory called the entrepreneurial personality type. 
And I read some of your bio and I read some other stuff about you. And I'm like, man, this guy's an EPT off the charts. If you haven't heard about the, if you haven't heard this content, I'll just share a little bit with you. Yeah, please do. You know, um, so the entrepreneurial personality type is, is, is like a subset of human beings that are different than the rest of the world. You and I are different than the rest of the world. We are, the way we define the EPT is that we are um, physiologically sensitive, momentum-based beings that are highly reactive to constraint. And that people like you and I want to be in momentum more than anything else in the world. Yeah. We get confused with a lot of what's going on out there, but we just want to be making progress, moving forward, making things happen. Like Josh, when I say the word momentum, do you hear it or do you feel it? I feel it a hundred percent, yep. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're completely different. Like the rest of the world does not obsess over momentum. We need a momentum just as much as the rest of the world needs oxygen. The rest of the world watches shows like ice road truckers. It's a <laughs> one hour show about a dude driving a truck, you know? And so we are crazy, crazy different than the rest of the world. And here's, here's, you know, I, I just want to validate some of what I read in your bio that like, yeah, we are different. And I don't think we're the black sheep. I just think we're unique and we get qualified or quantified as the black sheep or disabled or disordered or wrong or different or need to be corrected. But here's the reality. If you look throughout history at every person you remember, every person who's ever made a difference, they were just like you and I. Yeah. They were unique and different and frustrated and, and experienced massive restless frustration and cognitive dissonance. And the per and here's the issue, you know, the world today has this equation that if you don't look like everyone else, talk like everyone else and show up like everyone else, we need to medicate you, correct you, diagnose you and change you. Yeah. And the fact is, if you look throughout history, the people who didn't look like everyone else, talk like everyone else and show up like everyone else are exactly the people who went on to change the world. And so whenever I hear an entrepreneur refer to themselves as a black sheep, I just want to remind you that the black sheep are the ones who rise up identify the opportunity, grab onto it and make it real 100% of the time. I love that. And I appreciate you saying and that. I think one of my biggest frustrations um, or like ways that I like, I just don't get it is for me, I like look at the world and I look at other people and they're like in pain. I'm a big empath, right? Like I feel other people's I mean, pains like hugely, yeah. right? And I'm like, but if you would just do this, like then it would... Like yeah. then it would change, you know, and it's like they want to look to somebody else or blame somebody else or the government. And, I, and then they, they they come talk to me and I'm like, well, just do this. And they're like, well, you, you're so heartless. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, no, I'm like, that's my way of showing you love. Like, I want to free you of the pain that you're in. I want to free you from the suffering. And I'm like, I'm not better than you. I'm like, I'm just I just can see this because like I did it for myself. Right. And like I, I get called, you know, heartless and, you know. Uh, unempathetic all the time, right? Like that I'm just this crazy, horrible, terrible person. But I'm like, it's not that. It's that I literally actually believe that what I say is the best thing for you, not for me, right? And and that if you would do that, then it would change your life. But it's, it's frustrating. It's interesting, how, it's interesting how, you know, the more empathetic you are, because I am an empath as well, and it's very difficult. Like I, airports are very difficult for me. I feel everybody's feelings. You know, I, I, I have a lot of that. And it's interesting. I kind of feel like the more empathetic you become, the less patient you are. Because the more you feel and the more you recognize about what's going on with the people around you, like, you know, I'm very blunt. I always tell people, I'm the coach you need. <laughs> I might not always be the coach you want. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about this because I feel like I feel like a lot of people actually don't know what you do. And I think a lot of people know you, right? Because like you have accomplished some incredible things. You've been on, you know, stages, you've spoken at Stage and Funnel Hacking Live. You're you've worked with some of these really big names people. And like I've always just known you as the guy that's really good with systems and operations, right? And 
I know that that's probably some somewhat of what you do, but like I'm, I know there's there's a whole lot more than that. And everybody I talk to you about you is like Alex is this like super genius, right? Like he just <laughs> he comes over there, he wears these orange glasses, he wears. Okay, I gotta pause you real quick for one second. You don't wear shoes. I don't wear shoes. I wear flip flops, but you don't wear shoes. You wear what do like you wear? Five, five fingers or a go barefoot. Yeah, like what? What's the significance of that? So yeah, hold it up so the camera can see. Yeah, it's got like the toes in there. So it's like for me, I don't like shoes because they're constricting. I have a like a kind of a weird foot, so it doesn't like fit most shoes well. Like most shoes are really uncomfortable for me, and I just like the freeing feeling of flip flops. There is absolutely no medical or health benefit in my mind to what I do. I feel like for you, that's probably like why do you wear those type of shoes? Um, because there's medical and health benefits. Because there's medical. So like, <laughs> <laughs> for me, Josh. So, so when you say, what do I do? You know, yeah. I think we first have to start with the fact I'm 47 years old. Uh, when I was 21, I became a consultant. So I worked at the very highest levels of consulting at the fortune 500 C-suite level. And so I've done a mm. ton. And for me at 47, the whole world is about optimization. When you say, you know, what do you do? And, and like, what are, what are the things that I do? I optimize everything I possibly can in my life. So from the momentum planner system that we train our clients, this, this planning system is a corollary to the planning system in their business. And then we also, for, for the way that we coach people, we co here's, here's the outcome. When people work with us, we take an, a visionary entrepreneur who's incredible at ideas, someone just like you, incredible at ideas, sees the vision of what could happen, sees the possibility. But when it comes to managing and growing and leading a team, there's a deficit there. Mm. There's the challenge with translating that visionary capability to operational outcomes. And what we do as an organization is we help visionaries understand themselves better. And then we give them the process, the structure, and the routine they need to go grow their businesses quickly. Like you mentioned, Brad Gibbs. When I started working with Brad and Ryan, they were at about $600,000 a year. There was only two of them. They were struggling to find an assistant. We worked together for, I think, at about a year. And between an acquisition and hiring an assistant and, and bringing on some other people, they went from about, a, from about 600 to 10 million. Yeah. So it was so explosive nice. growth. They ended up on stage at Funnel Hacking Live getting the, the two Comic Club X award. Yeah. And the, the reason that they were able to do that, you know, and I've talked to Brad and Ryan a ton, it's process, structure, and routine. Yeah. And here's the key, Josh. It's like, how fast can we shortcut the process, structure, and routine to something that's going to work faster? Yeah. So I started answering the question about the shoes. So the reason I wear those shoes is I want to optimize everywhere. I don't want constraint anywhere in my life. Here's what I know about us as entrepreneurs, Josh. Pressure and noise in our lives, the higher it goes, the less awareness we have, the mm. less decision-making capacity we have, the less present we are, the less that we are able to like show up like we want to. So my theory is the more we lower pressure and noise and keep it low everywhere in our lives, the more we can show up as who we want to be. And I actually believe that pressure and noise is like a switch for us as entrepreneurs. Like, check this out. As entrepreneurs, we I have this book called The Entrepreneurial Personality Type, and I've identified 10 attributes of the entrepreneur. Like, I think you have one of them, high sensitivity. Would you say that you're yeah. sensitive to oh, the Oh, for sure, you? for sure. Right, okay, so high sensitivity, is it a superpower for you? When I choose it to be, yeah. Like, well, and and like, do you see things other people don't see, feel things other people don't 1, feel? 1,000%, yeah, 100%. Are you the type of person that can walk into the room and you know, like, whether it was a positive, negative conversation just based on how it feels? Just a one, yeah, 100%. 100%, right? Yeah, without question. Now, here's, sure. what I, then here's what I also know about you. Under high pressure and noise, that sensitivity is a weakness. It starts crushing you. Like, mm. what gets loud for you? What gets difficult for you? Because see, I'm that same person, but under high pressure and noise, colors get loud. 
Mm. They're high pressure and noise. If I'm in a crowd, I feel completely vulnerable. If there's high pressure and noise in my life, I can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. And so that high sensitivity, it's just an attribute. It's not a strength or a weakness. High sensitivity is a fact. But when there's high pressure and noise, it turns against you. Mm. When you lower the pressure and noise in your life relentlessly, it turns into a superpower. There's 10 of those attributes that work the same way. You know, another one is future focused. Josh, how often do you think about the future? (laughs) About 80% of the day. (laughs) Right. It's hard to come back into the present, right? Right. Like entrepreneurs are that small percentage of the population. Like we get up in the morning, check in with reality. Then as quickly as we can, we go into the future, create a new reality, come back to the present and demand it becomes real. Okay. It's so funny you say that because when I was, so I have two people that work for me full time, like I said, and then like contractors. Um, When I hired my um, operations person, I told her specifically, I said, here's what I need from you. I need to be able to meet with you in the morning. I need to be able to completely check out for a day or two or three at a time and then come back and brain dump on you and you help me organize on how we're going to make this happen. Like that exactly what you said is exactly what I told that I needed from her. It's yeah, it's weird. So here's how we fixed that, Josh, because what you told your operations person that you need from her for most operations people is an impossibility. (laughs) What what you're telling her is I'm going to be a visionary all the time and you need to deal with my my visionariness when I show up and how I show up and however, and then turn it into operations. So here's what we do as a company. We've created minimum effective dose structure. And here's what I mean by that. No two day offsites, no extensive planning meetings, no, like all of the stuff that entrepreneurs hate, we've taken out of planning and it's lightweight, it's quick, it's quick. And it's a, a way for entrepreneurs who are visionaries to be able to grow their business fast hmm. in a few hundred hours a year of meeting with their teams. Wow. Like the average entrepreneur, if you're working 40 hours a week, you're working 2000 hours a year. Our system shows you how to grow, manage, lead, and direct a team, including all of the planning and everything else you need in about 300 hours a year. Wow. So we give, we give entrepreneurs about 80% of their time back. Yeah. I mean, that when, when people say, how do you get explosive results like you did with Brad and Ryan, when you get so much time back that can go back into the business, the business just takes off. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that you're saying, I'm gonna, and I'm excited to, to chat with you further about everything, but like... Everything that you're saying, like I've noticed the bottlenecks in my own business, right? And like before before I ever had systems, like when I was doing everything on my own, I never understood a lot of like the things that people were saying of like, oh, like this would be a problem or oh, you got to be focused on this. Like when you're a business owner, I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I like started growing yeah. a team and then I started putting systems and operations in place. And I was like, oh, that's what they mean. That's what oh, that's about. what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I want to kind of go into... I know one thing that everybody that is listening right now is going to be listening for and wants to to talk about is COVID and the effects of that on the economy with the unemployment rates. A lot of your posts about about that. But before we go into that, I feel like it's important to bring maybe some context around like your skill set and maybe and maybe more specifically like your perception of the world, like how how you view things. Um, I always say that like, hey, you're gonna make decisions based on the the, the pair of glasses that you have on the lens that you're put you know, seeing through and you have this orange thick, you know, these orange thick glasses on. So I literally like, wear rose colored. This is literally, this is perfect, <laughs> right? There's a, a great analogy here. So I like, give us your kind of backstory and kind of like how you became as smart as you are and like how you started to understand. Cause I remember reading a post by you where you go, Hey, like I kind of look at everything in math equations. And I was yeah. like, huh, that's super interesting, right? I'd, I had not really ever heard anybody explain it that way before. And so I like actually went on Google and I was like researching some of this and like looking at like economists and like different things of people that literally analyze everything through math. And I was like, yeah. 
oh my gosh, this makes so much sense, right? Like as I was kind of going through and doing it. So like, give us your background and give us the, the story of like how you became who you are now. So I started a little bit early. I'll, I'll go through the brief story, Josh. Perfect. So I was a fundamentally different kid. You know, I, I, um, I struggled in pretty much everything as a kid. I struggled so much that by the age of like eight or nine years old, I wasn't even telling my parents about struggling anymore because it was so persistent and I felt so broken. I didn't want anybody to know what was going on. Wow. So I hid a lot of hmm. it. Yeah, I was the kid. I was like when, when we did presidential physical fitness testing in third grade, I was last, including all the girls. Like I was, I was <laughs> oh, physical. Oh, and not only was I last, but it got posted for the open house. So like everybody got to see that I was the most physically unfit kid in the entire class. And so wow. I, that was my experience growing up was, was that I was just so different that I had to figure out some other path or do something. And so very young, I started reading personal development books. Um, it didn't work out well. They were confusing. If you read 10 personal development books, they all start conflicting with each other. Have you yeah. ever had that experience? Uh, one, like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, like at 10 or 11 years old, that level of incongruency was like, I couldn't deal with it. Like Tony <laughs> Robbins is arguing with Brian Tracy, who's arguing with Wayne Dyer, like, okay, I got to get out of this. And so I started reading about successful people. And, you know, as an adult, uh, I've had more than one therapist or counselor tell me that I have the symptoms of Asperger's, ADD and ADHD. And so, or, and, and, you know, like high functioning autism. And I look at all of that as just the description of genius throughout history. Like, <laughs> Seriously, dude, like Benjamin Franklin wasn't an Asperger's guy. Like, come on, 10,000 tries to create a light bulb, Edison, like that type of obsession. Today, we would label him and give him Wellbutrin and we'd all be sitting here in the dark. So like, I, I proudly say that I have that stuff. But, you know, I think that people like us get obsessed about something. And, you know, sometimes Asperger's kids get obsessed with bugs and sometimes it's cars and sometimes it's viruses and sometimes it's germs and sometimes like it's business. And my obsession from a really young age was business. So I read about successful people in business. So as a kid, I was starting businesses really young. At eight years old, I sold stuff at my school. At 16 years old, I had a window washing company that I, I had to ended up selling. At 19 years old, I had a financial consulting firm that we sold when I was 21 and I moved across the country. Um, then I opened, then I, I actually didn't, that sale did not go well, um, but it ended up, it resulted in me um, kind of tripping into becoming a consultant. And I ended up working with companies like Fuji and Microsoft and Bose and Targus and like really amazing stuff. And so my, my background was really the only place I ever felt comfortable was business. Mm. You know, the rest of the world felt really uncomfortable for me when I was in a business meeting, when I was in a, working, I remember when I was, when I was a really young kid at about 10 years old, I started working with my dad at a flea market, more like eight years old. And I was standing behind a table because my dad had a business that had failed. And this was kind of, this was how he was supporting the family, like selling stuff at a swap meet on the weekend. Yeah. And a woman walked up and I sold her something and it was like the, one of the first times in my entire life, I was like, holy crap, that was good. Like I yeah. did something good. I didn't uh. suck. Like I didn't get criticized. Like the woman bought it. She said, thank you. And I was addicted. I was hooked. Like yeah. that second made it so that that's all I wanted to do. And so my whole life has been an obsession around business. And so when you, when, you know, you, you read one of my posts about seeing the world through equations, you know, I, I, I didn't do well in math in school, but as I started like consulting and working more, I started seeing things that were like just simple equations. Like, check this out. Overwhelm is a really easy equation. When someone's overwhelmed, there's two things going on. There's high pressure and noise and an unknown outcome immediately creates overwhelm. 
Hmm. If there's high pressure and noise and you don't know what you're doing next, you will feel overwhelmed. In about five minutes, you can talk to somebody and have them offload everything that's going on. So like high pressure noise, tell me everything that's happening. Okay, now tell me all of it. Tell me anything else. Have you told me everything? And here's what's interesting. When people are overwhelmed, they feel like there's hundreds of things. When you start asking questions, they usually tell you five, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you go, okay, so these five things, let's get to a partially known outcome. What could you do like in the next day or two, just to move forward a little bit, to get out of this feeling that you have. And if you get them to tell you everything that's going on and you get a partially known outcome, here's what happens, Josh. The equation of high pressure and noise with an unknown outcome equals overwhelm flips into clarifying today, having a partially known outcome creates confidence. Mm. And it's that quick. Like we do this yeah. all the time with our coaching clients. Like, and if I'm speaking and I can feel like someone's overwhelmed, I'll stop go through that process, turn it into confidence, and then show everybody in the room how to do it for their teams. Hmm. And so for me, the world is literally equations. And so like we have in our company, we have the contribution equation, the momentum equation, <laughs> predictable results equation. We show people equations that result in getting what you want. Like that overwhelm equation, that is a coaching equation that you can use as a manager or as a coach to get somebody calm in the moment. Like next time somebody's overwhelmed, ask them a ton of questions about where they are until they tell you everything they need to tell you and then help them figure out the next few steps. And you will literally see the same energy with which they had overwhelm will be the same energy with which they feel confident. That's awesome. Huh. That's so, so fascinating. I think, I think a lot of people, um, when they hear, oh yes, I look at the world through equations, right? Or I look at the world through that is they, um, they equate that with like, Oh, you're a very logic-based person and have no room for emotions. Therefore, you don't care about anyone. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like, totally. It's, it's like the opposite, Josh. You know, I, I mean, I, I am all about data and logic, all about data and logic, like conspiracy theories and politics and conjecture and arguments. Like, come on, let's just break it down to the data and logic so that we can get to the most likely scenario so we can make the right decisions to create momentum. That's it. You know, my whole life is about how fast can we go forward because the people around me want to do the same thing. But, you know, I think we were talking about this a little earlier. The more, the more time you spend helping people and the more time you spend trying to move things forward, the more consistently you see what the solutions are. Yeah. And so, you know, when I say I see the world through equations, is it okay if I share one of our like master equations yeah. with you? Because I think it'll kind of give more, more impression of what this is. So I call this the contribution equation. Josh, um, if you could make millions of dollars, but it didn't mean anything to the world, would it matter to you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Right. Mm -mm. In fact, if you could, if you made millions of dollars and it wasn't making an impact in the world, do you think you'd even want that money? No. And I'm being serious. No, I'm, I'm, I'm I, and I am being dead serious. hundred percent. I've said that so many times. I'm this exact same way. I'm like, if you want me to run a box factory, I can't do it because right. I don't care about boxes. Right. And I, I have friends that run box factories and I respect them and they're amazing. And their box factories are freaking ridiculous. Like I actually have a friend who runs a box factory <laughs> and an entire box business and he's amazing, but I just couldn't do it because it's not like the thing that I want to do. Right. And so, you know, I, I shared with you that I read a lot of stories about successful people. Well, when I say equations, I, you know, you can use the word patterns. I started seeing the same pattern in the lives of successful people over and over again. And like the, the patterns that you see in lives of successful people is restlessness and cognitive dissonance and conflict and challenges and frustration and being judged and being looked down on all of those things. But what's interesting, Josh, if you read 
20 or 30 or 40 or 50 biographies or life accounts or firsthand accounts, you start seeing patterns. You start reading hundreds, the patterns get clearer. You read thousands, the patterns are like jumping through to tell you what they are. Hmm. And the contribution equation is this four-step equation that I saw in the lives of every successful person. And Josh, think about, think about successful people you've read about as I go through this. So it's a four-step process. I actually believe it's like the meaning of life for people like us. All of our coaching content, everything that I do is based on this process. The first step of the contribution equation is you lower pressure and noise in your life. And I'm, when I say lower pressure and noise, this is the coaching we give. It's lower the noise, the pressure in your life everywhere and be relentless. You have to be, you have to be like relentless about getting the things in your life out that are creating pressure and noise. I mean, the people, the places, the things, if it's not giving you momentum, it's taking it away. Yeah. This, is, this is binary, it's on off. You're either getting from something or you're giving to it. You need to stop giving everywhere that it causes you pressure and noise. And, and this is one of those things that if you look at the lives of successful people, they did this, Josh. Yeah. They, there was a point in their lives where they said enough and they cut out the noise and they cut out the people that weren't helping them. They cut out the processes that weren't serving them. They stopped doing the things that were hurting them and they figured out how to move forward. And so that first step is about us lowering the noise for ourselves. The second step of the contribution equation, and these are a corollary, it's lower pressure and noise. Now the second one is ask for protection and support. Mm. It's so hard for people like us. Um, I have this theory, we call it the entrepreneur's dilemma. As entrepreneurs, we need far more help than the average person to reach our full potential, to reach the destination we want. But anytime we have to request help or support, it leaves us feeling vulnerable and exposed. That's 1 million percent me right now. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Ah, yes. <laughs> right? And so, so here's, here's what we share with entrepreneurs we must learn how to ask for protection and support. Hmm. And we need to stop calling it help. It's protection and support. And hmm. here's what I mean by that. Our strengths need to be protected and we need support everywhere else. You know, Josh, when you introduced me, you said I was an expert on a whole bunch of things. I'm also terrible at most. Like, <laughs> let's get very real. In, in, most, in most human activities, I look somewhat defective or dysfunctional. But when I get into my zone of genius, nobody can even come close. Yeah. And so I stay in my zone of genius all of the time. And the way I do that is... My entire team knows my strengths and my weaknesses. You know, when I was younger, I, in my 20s, I ran a company that was responsible for $250 million in sales of, of, of like Fuji and Targus and IBM and, and Microsoft and all kinds of other companies. We made multi-million dollars ourselves. I had a 40-person, or actually at one point, it was over 60-person team. Josh, none of them even knew I was dyslexic. I hit it. I mm, pretended wow. like I could be in front of them. I, wow. I didn't want to show any vulnerability. In my 30s, I ran a business that we got to the Inc. 500 list. We had a 100-person team. We totally like had huge outcomes. There was this day at the very beginning of that business where I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. And we had like a five or six-person team, and somebody handed me something to read, and it was in handwriting. And I said, I'm dyslexic. I can't read handwriting. Can you read it for me? And I handed it back. <laughs> and it was like this moment where I'm like, oh, God, I've never done that before. And dude, here's what's so intense. About four or five months later, we hired this designer. She found out that I had done that. And in our daily huddle one day, she was like, I just want everyone to know I'm dyslexic and I've never shared this publicly before anywhere. Wow. That's and so cool. It was amazing. And so like lowering pressure and noise, increasing protection and support, it changes everything yeah. and it activates who we are. And check this out, Josh. Here's what 
to get interesting. If you're willing to lower pressure and noise relentlessly every day, cut the things out of your life that are not giving to you, and you ask for protection and support. And by the way, it doesn't just mean cut things out. It also means add things. It means yeah. hydrate. It means work out. It means eat the right foods. It means plan. And you're willing to ask for protection and support. Here's the third step. It's interesting. Step three is your strengths and abilities just show up. Like, here's what I've watched with entrepreneurs my whole career. We get them into our systems. We lower the noise. We increase the protection and support. They don't learn anything. They don't go to a seminar. They don't have to get any input. They just get better at everything they do. Yeah. Overnight, they're better at everything they do. And they show up more confidently and they show up better and they show up more ready to help. And so if you lower pressure and noise and you increase protection and support, your strengths and abilities show up in a way that they will change how you react to the world. Yeah. And then here's the close. The fourth step of the contribution equation is if you lower pressure and noise, increase protection and support, your strengths and abilities will show and you will go out and make your greatest contribution. And here's what I mean by that, Josh. I've studied entrepreneurs my entire career. I've obsessed over our personality type. I literally wrote the book, The Entrepreneurial Personality Type. And here's what I know about entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter how we show up in the world. We may look aggressive or angry or frustrated or like we're trying to take everything over. But the fact is, every one of us is driven to make a contribution from the very core of who we are. Yeah. And we are driven so hard to make a contribution that often we will we will make things hard on ourselves, hard on the people around us. Like, I know entrepreneurs that are so driven to make a contribution, they have trouble making money. Yeah. And so I talk about that because in my, in my estimation, every entrepreneur is just trying to change the world and make things better. So let's call it that at the beginning. But here's what contribution looks like to me. I want to make something very clear because sometimes I'm misinterpreted by telling entrepreneurs to go out and start charities. I don't think you should. I think we suck at running charities. <laughs> for any entrepreneur I know, I'm, I'm very, being very serious. Because here's what I think, Josh. Here's how you make your greatest contribution. You go out and you build the biggest business you possibly can. A business so big that everybody in the world knows that if you're holding one of the products, you actually are part of a culture. A business so big that you are impacting how the entire world works. A business so big that when the coronavirus hits, you can bring in 100,000 workers like Amazon did and keep the entire country stocked. A business so big that it actually shifts the different or the shifts the trajectory of human humanity into the future. That's what I want. So to me, making your greatest contribution means that you make the most money because here's the reality. In the world we're in, capital flows to contribution. Yep. So if you're making a massive contribution, you're going to make a ton of money. So anytime somebody judges someone who's making money, I back them up and say, hey, hey, let's go look at what that person's actually doing. What type of contribution are they making? How are they changing things? And one of the things that um, I have found because a lot of people, and I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. One of the things that a lot of people that I've talked to don't understand or like have like, this trouble doing is like, you, you build businesses to create sustainable good, to stay, create sustainable yeah. results. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, I might make $10 billion or you know what I mean? Like Jeff Bezos might make $100 billion or like whatever it is. But it's not like he's just sitting with $100 billion and he's just like, Sweet, I got a hundred billion bucks over here, right? Like, it's like, no, like he takes that cash. Well, it's not even cash, but like, you know, like he takes that and it's, it started with a system and that system got bigger. So he needed more cash to fund the system. And then he got made the system bigger. Then he took more cash to fund the system. Like it, it cash is, is the, like the, the lifeblood is the measuring stick that allows you to determine like how much good you can do or how many systems you can fulfill. And like when people understand that they have this entirely 
different perception of money. But like how the world tells us money is, is like that money is this bad, evil thing that, you know, Donald Trump is after, right? You know, like that, and that's, and capitalists are after. And it's like, man, I, I just, as an entrepreneur, as you know, this, this person that wants to have an impact, I'm like, that is not how I view money at all, right? Like that is literally no. the exact opposite of how I view money. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when I look at fiat currency, when I look at money, what is money really? Money's energy. Yeah. Money's energy. Like that's money is an exchange of energy. And uh, you kind of got me up on one of my soapboxes here, Josh, because <laughs> anybody who says stuff like money is the root of all evil is so full of shit. They don't understand what they're talking about. Let's get very real about the world. Prior to there being fiat currency, if you had something I wanted, I killed you for it. <laughs> It's true. Now let's get very real. No, it's super true. Prior to fiat currency, if I wanted something, like if I wanted something the village next to us had, we got our sticks and stones and we went and took it. And so when people say money is the root of all evil, what they don't understand is that money is the vehicle for human exchange. Yeah. Human exchange is like the reason we were put on this planet to help each other. Like money allows me to say, hey, Josh, I want your stuff. You want my stuff. Let's exchange it without killing each other. Let's give this energy called money so that we can both help, both help each other make progress in this world. And it doesn't matter if I'm selling you a hat or a water bottle or a coaching program that's going to change your entire life. We're exchanging energetics when yeah. we exchange money. And yep. so anybody who says the money is the root of all evil, one, they haven't given enough away. Because if you want anybody who tells me money hasn't doesn't buy happiness, I beg to differ. <laughs> Go write a $20,000 check, walk it over to an orphanage and watch how much happiness happens. My wife and I have done that over and over again. We funded an orphanage in Haiti. We funded an orphanage here in, in Austin. Like you want to see happiness, you can write a check and make happiness happen. And furthermore, as entrepreneurs, when people start talking bad about money, let's get real. Money may not buy happiness, but there has to be a certain amount of money for happiness to be an option if you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. And so like it's to me, anybody who fights commerce and money doesn't understand that as human beings, I believe we are put on the planet to help each other. Money facilitates that faster than anything in history has. Yeah. Uh, other than maybe the internet. Yeah. Okay. I want to kind of make a shift here and kind of move into <laughs> The, this current events of coronavirus and the effects of the economy. Um, <laughs> Alex, sum up everything that's going on in 20 minutes, LOL. Um, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, so you, you have this cra like craziness going on with there's the coronavirus, there's uncertainty in the economy, there's unemployment claims going through the roof. What was it? We're up to 15.7%, I think, unemployment, like 20 million Americans or something like that are now unemployed. You've got the That's stock- That's on the April numbers, yeah. In, in, on April, in April numbers, you've got the stock market that is roaring back, which seems to be completely out of touch with reality of what's actually going on. You've got people that are being locked up for doing like craziness. And so it's just like, like how do you even go and begin to, first off, interpret like, what the heck is going on? Like, what, what do we even expect? And then secondly, whenever the time is right, like transition into like, what can we as business owners do to go out there and protect ourselves and not only protect ourselves, but actually I'm, I, I don't like operating out of fear, right? I feel like if, hey, how do we protect ourselves is a, is a bad way to operate. It's how do we make sure that we're secure so that we can expand, right? And 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 that's, I, I, I think that's really the question. Because for me, like, I'll be 100% honest with you. My business has done even better during the coronavirus. So like, I'm probably not the best person to ask. I'm 26 years old and people are like, Josh, what are you doing for the coronavirus? I'm like, I'm making my product better and I'm selling baby. But like that, I'm, I'm you know, I'm way out of touch with that reality from a lot of people and, and what's going on. So 
first off, how, what, how do you even interpret what's going on here? And then how is we as business owners, how should we be reacting? Okay, so first, in the interpretation of what's going on here, let's just get real. Crisis is normal. It's part of the human condition, and crisis exists all around us all the time. I'll add to that. Viruses are normal. Viruses are around us all the time. Viruses are a part of the human condition. This was actually expected. This has been predicted. Companies had pandemic insurance. We're all trying to make way more out of this than what it is. It's just a natural occurrence in the environment, and we need to understand most likely scenario and move forward. Here's what I want everyone to know about Crisis. Crisis equals opportunity, period. It always equals opportunity. And Josh, you said like, how do, how, not how do we protect ourselves maybe, but how do we like, how do we move forward in this? Well, as entrepreneurs, there's two things. One, you must commit to growth during this crisis. Mm. Like it doesn't matter what's happening in your life right now. It doesn't matter where your businesses are. I'll share a story about one of my clients in just a second, but it doesn't matter what's happening. You have to commit to growing through this crisis. You must orient yourself to saying, I am going to grow. And then the second thing to do in a crisis is look to the future and figure out your future plans. Here's the issue in crisis. I've, and by the way, I've been through a few of them. And my businesses have, have grown through the Argentine economic crisis, through the dot-com crisis, through 9-11. Katie and I put a company on the Inc. 500 list. We were bankrupt in 2007, liquid millionaires in 2008, on the Inc. 500 list in 2011 with the 21st fastest growing company in the country. Wow. And the way we did it was by orienting towards the future. So two things. One, you must have a growth mindset. And two, you must focus on the future because here's what happens with way too many people who are in a crisis. They become way too focused on the present and they get they get distracted by the content of the crisis yeah so do not allow like the conspiracy theories and the politics and the arguments and the conjecture to distract you from this you must orient to the future and commit to growth and so i think that's like as far as crisis goes that's the most important part and here's 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 the issue with something like this is that our personality types when there's an attack when there's a crisis we are hardwired to react and do something. Did you feel that when this crisis hit, Josh? 100%. Like, I gotta do something. Yep. Gotta do something, right? <laughs> and what happens is oftentimes we're so hardwired to react that we do something without even really thinking about it. It's like we start shooting from the hip, emotional decisions, reacting. And so the way that you crush crisis and the way that you can grow through every crisis is to follow a system, a protocol. When you look at people who are successful in crisis, like doctors, EMTs, special forces, uh, you know, um, people who deal with crisis, like 911 operators, you know what all of them have? A protocol. Yeah. Every single one of them is following a system, a structure, a protocol. And so in a crisis, follow a protocol. Our company teaches a simple process before you make a decision, we have a five-step process. You analyze, prioritize, commit to your decision, execute what you decided, and then renew. Hmm. And the key there is analyze and prioritize. Most people in a crisis want to make a move before they analyze what's happening and before they prioritize their options. So I said I would share a really quick client story with yeah. you, Josh. And actually, maybe a tale of two, two people I know. So... I have this client, Lori Noga, who's amazing. She's an incredible entrepreneur. She has three dental practices, $5 million dental practice, like one of the, the best dental practices literally in the country, one of mm -hmm. the most successful, successful dentists in the country. Wow. At the beginning of this coronavirus, her, all her offices were shut down. Like literally, they said, you can't do anything anymore. 
for the first few days, it's like, what do you do? Well, we got, we got Lori into our structures, into our systems, analyze, prioritize, commit, execute, renew, like, look at what you have. We, 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 we actually have a system for pivoting and we have a system for determining how to, how to create the pivot and then an execution system. So Lori went through that system in the last few weeks. She was on a call last week and her offices are still closed, but this is what she shared with us. She has been communicating with her clients and telling them what, telling them what's going on. Her schedule is booked out for four months in all three of her dental practices. She's adding weekends, adding weekends, adding weekends because there's so much business coming towards them. And she's like, I feel like this crisis was exactly what I didn't, I needed to get out of my own way. Wow. Amazing. Like I share with entrepreneurs, your you, what you focus on creates your reality. So reality is yours to create. So Lori has created a reality where COVID-19 has exploded her dental practice. Yeah. Now, let me share a second story with you. So this is not a client of mine. It's somebody that I know who owns a very similar business, three chiropractic practices, like functional medicine practices, Josh, dental, function, functional medicine, not a big difference. Right. Pretty same. I mean, yeah. it's almost the same thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this second business owner has been on Facebook talking about conspiracy theories. I've seen them like a bunch of times and I'm like, dude, what are you doing sharing this stuff? Like, even if you read it, why are you sharing it? Like, do you think your functional medicine clients want to know that you're looking at this? And then he's not only that, he went to a rally. He went to like an open it up rally and filmed it and like live Facebook. And he's been arguing with the virus and talking about how bad this is and how the governor's made the wrong decisions. So his state is opening up too. So I reached out and said, Hey, how are your clinics doing opening up? And he said, Oh, we're at 50% capacity. Nobody wants to come in. My staff doesn't want to work because they're getting too much unemployment dollars. I don't, I just, I, you know, the way that the governor's handled it is all wrong. They're in the same state. Oh my gosh. They're in the same state. It's crazy. And I like, it blew me away when I finally realized that this week, I'm like, holy crap, Lori and this other guy are in the same freaking state. And it's perception creates reality, man. Lori has been marketing to her clients, telling them they still need dental work, how they're going to protect them, what they've installed in the office, how they're going to have PPE and everything. This other guy has been at rallies arguing with a virus. And so when it comes to something like this happens, here's, here's what I, I share with my clients guard your focus like your life depends on it because it does Hmm. and in this this like comparison it's so crazy to see two people dealing with almost identical situations one of them is lori is actually talking about now going out and buying dental practices because what they're doing is working so well and this other guy's like i don't know if we're gonna survive wow same state same virus almost the same business and i guarantee you if he changed his outlook that entire business would shift but like what you focus on literally expands. So if you're going to focus on how bad this virus is, if you're going to focus on conspiracy theories, if you're going to focus on how angry you are at the governor, that is going to pervade your entire life. If you're like Lori and you focus on how you can help people, how you can fix this, how you can keep your business going, how you can move things forward, how you can convince people this is okay and still get them dental care, she's going to probably double her business in the next two years because she's the one who's actually focused on it. So guard your focus like your life depends on it because it does. Wow. Wow. That's so crazy. And, and so I, I shared this with you beforehand. I work with um, Coach Katie, um, Katie Richardson, and many of the listeners here know that. Having a coach during this crisis, this pandemic, whatever you want to call it, has fundamentally completely changed my approach to absolutely everything simply because of what you talked about there, the way upon which I have shown up to it, right? Yeah. And like 
don't get me wrong, I'm still someone that like I still pay attention to politics and like, you know, I'm still kind of involved there and I still voice my opinion here and there. But from that's in my spare time. Right. And like yeah. when, when when I show up, I, like I, I box her every single day. We have calls every single week. And like at the beginning, I was like, oh, what do I do? And she goes, well, what do you do? Right. Like, what are you going to do, Josh? And I was like, ah, she goes, you have a choice right now. Right. And, and like she laid it out and like she's held me to the standard of you have a choice right now. Like what's going to happen is going to happen. What you, the choice that you have is how you're going to react to it. And when you yeah. show up that way and when you, like you said, wherever you put your focus creates your reality, that is what's going to do. We had, we doubled our profits from the month before. We're on track to do, I mean, this month we want to do a hundred thousand, you know, a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Like while everybody else and, and our clients the same way, like yoga studios, right? We had a client that we worked with, all their yoga studios got shut down, right? Completely Everything was shut down offline. And so they came online and they were like, hey, we have no idea. We've never made any money online before. Like we've got all these recordings. Like what do we do with it? They hired me and we did $27,000 in, in a launch in the first week with 50, 50 applications for a $5,000 uh, mastermind upsell, right? And like these are people that have never done anything online before, but they showed up because I showed up, right? And, and it's so cool to see that like you actually do get to control how it is that you show up. Well, and let's get real. Like, this is the biggest opportunity in the history of entrepreneurship, period. Anybody who doesn't see that needs to reorient how they're looking at this. Let's get very real about what happens in crisis. The greater the crisis, the greater the opportunity, period. I, I mean, I'm so convinced of that throughout my life. I've watched that over and over again. So can I, can I interject there real quick? Can, can we yeah. help, help somebody understand this? Help, like what you just sure. said right there, right? Like, I get it right? To, to the extent that I understand it, right? Because like I have a coach and I've worked with this and I've studied people like you and Russell and whatever. And I like see all these things. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. But there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there right now. A lot of people that are newer or struggling in their business. Maybe they've been in business for a while and they hear coronavirus is the greatest opportunity in business right now. Crisis equals opportunity. And they're like, how? Like, can you walk someone uh -huh. through that process? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. In a normal market, in a good market, like six months ago, Nobody's going to displace a market leader. Nobody's going to be able to compete with the number one product. Like if you are, you're going to struggle like crazy trying to do it. Here's what happens in the middle of a crisis. The new product, the upstart, the person who just came out with it is now expected, not questioned. The little tiny company that's the underdog that has an idea. Everybody's like, oh, let's go pay attention to them because this is a crisis. We need new solutions. Mm -hmm. In a crisis is when economies shift. It's when the number one person is no longer the number one person. Crisis creates instability and instability always creates opportunity for entrepreneurs. When you look at what we do as entrepreneurs, we organize the world around us and create a higher level of utility. Well, when there's a crisis, the world around us becomes unorganized and needs utility. You know, you, you said you've done very well in this crisis. So Josh, three weeks ago, we introduced a product for entrepreneurs who needed to figure out how to pivot in the crisis and then grow their businesses. So we have a product where you understand how to pivot, you build the pivot plan and the execution, and then you execute it and grow like crazy. We released it at $300 a month. In the past three weeks, we put 130 companies into it. Wow. And like three, web, we've done two, most of that was on two webinars. And the reason is because in a crisis, if you have a solution, people don't question you. In a crisis, if you, if, you're, if you understand what's going on and you can show people that you will move them forward, you are going to win. 
the the awards that are over my shoulder here are the Inc. 500 awards we got for a product called the Certified Distressed Property Expert designation. We launched it at the very beginning of the last crisis. Josh, I wasn't a real estate agent, I but we had 49,700 real estate agent members, the biggest product in the history of real estate. And I fully believe the only reason we were able to do that is it was a crisis. Mm. And throughout that crisis, like this is my personal experience, from 2007 to 2013, our tiny little startup company worked with Bank of America, worked with the U.S. Treasury. I was wow. at a round table sitting two seats away from the director of the U.S. Treasury, and I dominated the round table. Why? Because the tiny little upstart company that has an idea in a crisis is the one everyone turns to. Hmm. And so when you look at, look at the massive amount of opportunity created here, it's real. It's just as an entrepreneur, when you prioritize and or, analyze, or when you analyze, prioritize and commit to something in a crisis, you will crush. Hmm. How long do you think the opportunity of this crisis will last? Oh, this is a long one, Josh. This is years. So when you look at what's happened so far, we're already in a multi-year recovery. We just haven't really recognized it yet. That There is going to be years of instability, years of financial challenges, and years of us dealing with this medical crisis, especially here in the United States where we haven't contained it, and it's kind of out in the wild, and we're just going to see what it does. You know, I think that what we've set up is, is a, a multi-year process where we are going to have some people that don't care, some people that care. There's going to be people that are scared to go out, people aren't scared to go out. Like this is an entirely new market that none of us have faced. And again, that creates massive opportunities. Okay. Let's talk about, uh, uh, there, there was a specific post that you did, I don't know, probably a month ago, um, where you were, you were promoting a webinar, but it was a really, really detailed post about the ripple effect of unemployment. And um, you, you know the post I'm talking about, referring to where the, where you said like these are numbers coming out. So for, for those of you that don't know the post, basically the crux of the post was, hey, look, uh, people like we're ignoring the fact that there is so many people that are about to hit unemployment. And all of a sudden you're about to take 20 million people, which is where we're at now, right? Like you said, like 20 million people now that are yeah, on when I predicted it, people, people were really mad at me when I started making predictions. All the predictions I've made have come true. Right. And it's, we're at 15, as of, so we're recording this on a Friday. This is airing the, the week after, but we're at 20, 20 million people unemployed, 15.7%, I think, or 15.9, something like that this morning is what I read, uh, is what we hit. And that is a long-term ramification because now it's like so much money shifts, so many people are out of work, so many people aren't producing, so many, like so many things happen there. So like, talk to me about that and like, what, like, what are the ramifications of that? And like, what, like, what are we, what are we to even expect? Like, just talk yeah. to me about that in general. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Josh, you know, it's it, in a situation like this, it's hard to like create expectations, but I've spent this last seven weeks studying this so that I can make decisions for my business so that I can also help my clients make decisions. And here's, here's what I expect. Normal is gone. And I think the faster that as entrepreneurs, we absorb that and we just understand it, that we will start to be able to, to like create the new normal and the new world that we're in. And when you look at where we are right now, I think, you know, we, we, we're going to see an, another few weeks of catastrophic unemployment numbers because we haven't really resolved what's going on. And we're going to see an economy that is severely challenged in a number of different ways. And it's going to have to be rebuilt. We're going to see GDP come down. We're going to see all types of things change. You know, I think when we when we look at what we already know about this virus, 
we know that all the jobs that have been lost are not coming back. We also know that all the offices that have been vacated are probably not going to be re-inhabited. And we know that a lot of the businesses that have struggled for the last seven weeks are not coming back. So here's what we know. We are in a period of significant instability for the foreseeable future. And so when you're planning your business, when you're planning what you're doing, when you're planning your products, you have to understand that you are in a period of significant instability for this foreseeable future. So let me share how Lori Noga got past this. You know, she looked at what are my clients feeling? What are my, what are the people who are going to come towards us feeling? They're feeling scared. They're feeling like they need help. They're feeling like this is really insecure and ambiguous. And there's a lot of doubt and there's a lot of insecurity. So she created a system where they started reaching out and saying, Hey, here's how we've resolved doubt. Here's how we're going to protect you. Here's why we want you to make you feel secure. Here's this will actually feel kind of normal when you come back to see us. And as a result, she's booking more dental appointments than she ever has because people are like, Hey, this person knows what's going on. Yeah. And so here's how we, here's how we deal with this, Josh. We accept that this is reality and we start planning our entire business around it. So over the next few years, here's what we're going to see. Like I'll make some predictions here that people will call me crazy, but these are, you're going to see these develop. We're going to see dark grocery stores, a lot of dark grocery stores that are like phantom stores where there's a building but it's all delivery and nobody's really getting anything. Nobody goes in there. We're going to see restaurants that are set up with exclusive deliveries. We're going to see in places where the entire geography or the entire setup of locations is completely changed to deal with this disease. We're going to see like certain types of activities just not come back for a long time because people are going to be so nervous about this. And so it's interesting in, in certain parts of the world, they're already making one year and two year plans around this. And in the United States, we're like, it's going to go away next month. It's going to go away next month. It's going to go away next month. It's not going to go away next month. Like that is the silliest fantasy we could ever have. And so instead of, of like trying to wish this away, it's how, how, how quickly can you, and, and in crisis management, there's this term called most likely scenario. You, you prepare for the worst and hope that it doesn't eventuate. And then you understand most likely scenario and most likely scenario for us here in the States is we're going to see a prolonged challenge from this. We're probably going to see the rolling in and rolling out of restrictions as we have increase and decrease in, in cases. And that's going to be the foreseeable future. There's some big questions for us to figure out. Like right now, the United States has made itself poisonous to the rest of the world. When you look at New Zealand or Australia or Korea or places where they've contained the virus and there's not a big fear, can you imagine them opening up travel to the United States? I, I don't see it happening. So I think you know we need to start thinking about the fact that we are we're isolated. We're not going to see a lot of international travel. There's probably going to be certain countries that don't allow U.S. travel for a while, and so there's a lot that is kind of being built moving forward. And so as entrepreneurs, it's about understanding, like, what is that most likely scenario? Here's what we know in the United States. Politics are not going to determine what's really going to happen. It's people's perceptions that will. Yeah. It's how people feel. Yeah. How safe do they feel? How scared do they feel? It's that. And so when you look at the numbers today, here's what we know about people's perceptions. Somewhere between 70 and 90%, depending on the poll that you look at, 70 to 90% of people feel like we're opening up too soon. They're scared of getting the coronavirus and they don't feel like kids should go back to school. So when there's that much of the population leaning in that direction, as entrepreneurs, we just have to take that as data and say, okay, most people are scared. I'm marketing to a scared, you know, apprehensive community that's feeling a ton of ambiguity. How do I get them to come back and look yeah. at me as normalcy? Yeah. Hmm. That's super interesting. Okay. I got two more questions for you here. I do want to be respectful of your time here. Um, Number one, what, what has been the biggest pivot that you have made in your business with all of this? 
Um, so far? Yeah, so far. Mm -hmm. From the coronavirus? Yeah. Okay, so that's a big one. So um, at the very beginning, we, we here's, here's how we suggest people make a pivot, Josh. The pivot should be based on what's happened to your clients, not what's happened to your company. It's like, what's, okay. what, what's the movement you serve? What's the population you serve? That's how you should pivot. So at the very beginning of this crisis, we didn't know what was going to shift in our population. So what we did first was our initial pivot was we added a ton to delivery for the members we had. We threw out the contracts and we said, okay, biggest crisis in history. Here's how we're going to support you. I'm jumping on calls. My wife's jumping on calls. We're going to have more scheduled support for you. There's a lot more we're going to do to make sure you make it through this. Then we waited a few weeks and, and watched like what was happening, talked to a bunch of entrepreneurs, and we actually created a new product that we've never had before. It's called our foundation product. And we introduced it three weeks ago. It's $2.97 a month. And for the first time ever, our company is working with startups. We're working with people who are starting up. We're working with people who are restarting. As a mechanism of having to work with people that were restarting, we decided to work with people who are starting up or people who are in the early stages of business. We introduced Foundation three weeks ago. We did a couple of webinars. We have about 130 member companies in it now. And so in the last three weeks, we made a pivot that resulted in about a half million dollars a year in recurring revenue. Wow. That's and, awesome. and it will just continue. And it's been, you know, I'll share this with you, Josh. I feel like the coronavirus is an accelerator. Yeah. You know, I feel like it, the coronavirus has like come into the world and just stood on the accelerator. It's accelerating the transition from in person to virtual, from offline to online, and it's accelerated us. It's like it finally got me to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna help this population of entrepreneurs that have followed us for years, that come to see us at events, that you know buy tickets to come see me speak somewhere, even we, though we have nothing to sell them. And so that's the biggest pivot we've made. Yeah, and I've noticed that as well. And I said this on a podcast episode earlier. I said, I feel like the coronavirus got me to stop questioning everything, stop messing around and just make a decisions and move forward. And when I yeah. did that, like my business not only exploded from like, I mean, in the first like week or two after the economy shut down, we probably had like seven or eight people reach out to us and are like, hey, like I have my checkbook ready to go to pay you $20,000 for your services. Right. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't take on that many people. You know what I mean? All at one time. And so that's when I was like, all right, well then I now know my product right now. Like I now know what I have to go create and like pivoted. And so, I mean, it sounds like what we're doing is very similar to what you're doing. Diff obviously a totally different product, but membership $300, you know, like yours is $300 a month. Ours is going to be membership recurring, things like that. So um, that's super, super cool. Okay. Uh, last question I have for you before we go to just rapid fire questions and wrap it up here. Do you have like three, three, four more minutes? Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, this uh, has been a lot of fun, Jim. Okay. Let's bring it home. Good, okay. Um, take this how you want. What do you think of Donald Trump and how he's been handling this? Um, and you don't man, have to make it political, I, but you can, like, answer that however you feel it best fits your style of answering that question. I think that, so I'm not very political. I don't subscribe to Republicans or Democrats. I think both parties are very confusing. Maybe it has something to, me, to do with me not being born here and not being indoctrinated as a child as either one of them. I actually find them both really confusing. I don't, you know, like, it's weird that the conservative party right now is, is pro-life, but then also pro-open up and, and potentially kill a whole bunch of people. So that, like, there's contradictions there. And then there's contradictions for me in the Democratic Party. But as far as a, a, like a critique of Donald Trump as a leader right now, um, in my career, in my life, I've watched multiple presidents lead international issues. And what I've observed in my entire life is that the United States seemed to lead 
international issues like the CDC at the United States, let the recovery from SARS before and MERS before, like the United States feels like we are always kind of the tip of the spear leading a reaction to a crisis. I feel like in the current crisis, it's not like that. I feel like we're actually kind of being looked at by almost every other country as what, what's going on over there. And it feels like they're really, you know, I, I teach leadership, I coach leadership. It doesn't feel like there's any type of executive leadership right now. Feels like there's there is definitely executive leadership presence, but there's not executive leadership direction. And I think it's odd that as a country we issued guidelines for how the state should reopen and then almost as quickly invalidated them. I think it's odd that we have experts that are on TV testifying for the U.S. government and then they're almost as quickly invalidated by the person that's leading them. Like if if we looked at the current president as the CEO of a company, I think that company would be dramatically struggling and having an incredibly hard time just because I coach and train leadership. And when I look at some of the leadership moves that have been made, they feel haphazard and short-sighted and reactive. And so my, my, my perception is that it's been very haphazard, haphazard short-sighted, reactive, and not really based on data or logic. Okay. Okay, cool. I appreciate that. All right. Um, Wait, for- are you a Trump supporter? <laughs> I yeah well yes I, I'm I'm very I've been very vocal in my support of Donald Trump up until this crisis I have very much stepped back from my blatant support of Donald Trump in this crisis however I am thankful that Donald Trump is our president and not Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton because of not maybe from a leadership perspective, but because of I believe that a, the Democrats would be ta- trying to take more of our freedoms. I, I think that Donald Trump and the administration have come out and said, we will always side with the American people. We uh, we will side with like letting the churches and people be, gather in the churches. I, we will side with business owners wanting to reopen and make their own decisions. And so while I, I tend to agree with you that maybe the leadership style of Donald Trump is not great, I do I would always side with let the people decide what they want to do and give the freedom back to them rather than, hey, the government should control everything. So while I do agree that it's kind of a colossal mess there, at least Donald Trump is going to err on more of the side of the things that I believe in, if that makes sense. But I have been a pretty vocal Donald Trump supporter up until this crisis. Then this crisis hit and then the Republicans passed a two trillion, two point two trillion dollar spending stimulus package in three days, and I was like, "Yep, okay, well, everything I stood for for the Republicans just got shot out the window." So what, like, what's my party anymore? So like I said it's kind of confusing. Yeah, I, I get. I think I think this corona, the coronavirus made me give up on the Republic. Not give up, made me change my views of the Republican Party for sure, and kind of go. And I, I wasn't really a diehard. I'm, I'm more libertarian than absolutely anything else, right? Like, I, I absolutely believe that the government should pretty much just stay out of our lives and we should be able to do our own things. I know that that's, <laughs> that's far gone now, but, like, that's what I'd like to wish would happen. But <clears throat> I look at Donald Trump and I'm like, at least I know what I get with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and kind of. well, kind of. Yeah, m- more so than, m- more so than, I- I'm certainly glad Donald Trump is the president and not Hillary Clinton. Let's say that. Um I don't agree with everything Trump does. I, I don't agree with certainly how he handles the press, certainly how he interacts with people. I could just pound my head through a wall, but I, I tend to agree with a lot of the decisions that he has made in certain areas um, of things. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
I just think it'll be interesting, Josh. I think we've made our. I think we. I think we've made the United States somewhat caustic to the rest of the world. Like when you look at the other major players in the world, they are doing everything they can to contain this. We're doing the opposite, so it'll be interesting to see but, how, but, as we come out of this, but, how much of a challenge it creates for the U.S. But, but like, how how much of the virus is really as bad as they say, man? Like, you let uh, let me let me just give you one example. You look at influenza in the month of January. In the month of January, there were 20,000 influenza deaths, okay? From February until May, February 1st until May 1st, there were only 4,000 reported influenza deaths. Like, how? Like, we know that those are being reported now as coronavirus deaths, right? And so it's like, I fear, I, my thought process behind this is that the, the seriousness of the coronavirus don't get me wrong. I think it's a real thing. I think people really die from it. I think it does really spread. Like, I do think there's ramifications of it. Like, I'm not saying that it's not real. But what I'm saying is, is that when you look at actual numbers and you look at how the media plays into fear and you have the CDC going, yeah, there's 67,000 deaths. And then the next day you go, actually, just kidding. Psych, there's 37,000 deaths. Oh, yeah, we're going to like it. Just, something doesn't make sense to me. And so I go, I'm I am all for people making their own decisions. And I think that we should reopen the economy. And you can say like, how, how can you say it when you're pro-life? I'm like, well, if you don't want to get the virus, stay home. If you don't worry about getting the virus, go do your thing. And why should the government say anything else? And I'm 100% with Trump on that. When he's like, we need to open the economy. I'm like, I 1000% agree. And I respect somebody's decision to stay home. But if you're worried about getting the virus, stay home. If you're not, as I'm not, Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've respected all guidelines. I have I have self-quarantine. My girlfriend is an, a high at risk person. Right. Severe asthma like around elderly people. We wear masks when we go out like we take all precautions. But at the same time, I'm like, that's my decision. And that should be somebody else's decision as well. And so I lean that way. And I think that I think that the media is completely blowing out of proportion how serious the coronavirus is. That's just my two cents on it when you look at the data. But what? When I look at like meat, meat packing plants getting shut down and manufacturing facilities shutting down and people dying in those facilities, you know, there was a, a women's prison where there's 400 inmates and 390 of them have the coronavirus. It is a fast spreading, very challenging disease. And so you have to weigh what's really happening in the world. I mean, I get like, let's just go open it up. But here's the challenge for a 26 year old kid who can make money online. That's really easy to say. Let's just get real. I, you were meat, one million percent if worked, right. Yep. If you worked in a meatpacking plant and you had a family and you were fifty years old, it'd be a lot harder to say let's just go open it up. But 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 how so though? If because either way, I I can choose, I can choose just to not show up to work. And yeah, I might get fired, but that's my choice. Like, how does me, how does me as a twenty-six-year-old affect somebody work a fifty-six-year-old working in a meat plant? Like, whether I leave my house or not. It makes absolutely no difference. Their risk is the exact same if they choose to show up to work. And that's my whole point is I'm like, I, I could, I don't care how long the economy gets stays shut down. I'm going to make money regardless, right? Like me as a 26 year old, that can make money online. Quarantine us for a year. I'm going to be just fine, right? Like I have cash reserves. I can, I can pay all of my bills for the next year without making another dime, right? So it's like when you, for when people are like, Josh, you just say that because of whatever it is you believe. I'm like, I'm not affected by this nearly as much as the salon owners and the bars and the meat packaging people that are like when they want to go out and work and they want to be able to yeah. go out and prepare for their family. And I'm like, 
if they want to do that, they should be allowed to. And if they don't want to do that, they should be allowed to stay home. Like, I think everybody should be able to have the choice. I don't think it's the government's responsibility to decide who gets to go to work and who doesn't when it's like, yes, Walmart and Amazon, you guys can stay open, but because we decided you're important, but you all guys over here, we decided that you're not important. Like, I just, I, to me, and this has nothing to do with business, I just don't think that that's right. Like, I don't think the government should get to decide that. I do. I'm a libertarian, but I totally disagree. Because here's, here's why, Josh, because if we just open the entire economy and we let every business go, and we let everyone go, then we increase the, the danger level for everyone and we could shut things down. I actually have a, a sister who works in an emergency room in California and they were getting near capacity before California like did what they needed to do. And when you talk to people on the front lines, it's, it's a lot different than for, for people like you and I. Like my life's barely changed. I actually found out during the coronavirus that my normal lifestyle is called quarantine. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't make a lot of adjustments, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. but, but that's, I mean, I totally get it. And you know what? I respect your opinion and I respect the way you express it because you don't sound like a jerk. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think all of us, I think this is one of those situations, Josh, where... You know, part of the reason I don't subscribe to politics is because I don't like to dislike people for their opinions. Yeah. And, and if you really get into politics, then you end up in this place where half the room is always against you. And so one of the ways that I look at a, a virus like this or a crisis like this is that everyone's going to have their perception. And I want to know, like, can my perception exist in the same space as that other person's or are we directly opposed? Right. And I think in, in a situation like this, rarely is there direct opposition. We just want to create it. Like, I don't feel like there's direct opposition with you and I. It's like, you have some opinions. I have some opinions. Let's get real. This is the biggest problem the world's ever faced. We're going to have different opinions. And, and, and I think that that's so important to remember. And, and one of the things that I said on a podcast recently that I was being interviewed on about this is I said, I think that we need opposing views because that let's call it the left and the right, even though that's pr probably not accurate. But let, let's just say, right, like the left is generally close down the economy, keep it closed longer. The right is more open up the economy. I'm like... There's some truth in the middle. And if the left keeps pulling for their side and the right keeps yeah. pulling for their side, eventually we are going to move forward. Unfortunately, it's not the way that we want it to. Unfortunately, we're never going to agree. But like, hey, at least there's movement momentum, right? As le at least, at least yeah. we're moving forward in something. I'm like, where there's a problem is when we stop. Right. When they're when people stop voicing their opinions and you don't have to be involved in politics. You don't have to voice your opinion. But like. I support people's right to go out there and I'm like, hey, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Your opinion is just as important as my opinion, right? Like it is. And if we both put those out there, then we're both going to see sides and we're slowly but surely going to move forward. And I think that's what's most important. No question. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I did business in and I, I've worked in countries where there isn't freedom of speech and dude, like... I, I'm open to everybody having their opinions. And, totally agree. And, and that's and that's my biggest thing is like, just don't don't take away don't take away the freedom to express my opinion and to you know to choose and yeah. So anyway, um, we'll probably we'll end with that. I, I want to move to rapid fire questions really really quick because I'm I'm fascinated by this. So rapid fire is just four or five questions. Just is whatever comes to mind first, answer them, and then we ask one question at the end that's more deep. All right. Um, before the coronavirus, when you traveled, what was your favorite airline to travel on? Private. Private. Okay. <laughs> Private. Um, all right. What, what is one bucket? <laughs> That's the best answer. Uh, what's the what, What's the one bucket list item that you want to do in your life that you have not yet done? Uh, 
bucket list item that I'd like to run a billion dollar company. Run a billion dollar company. All right, I like that. Um, If you had the chance to go to outer space for like a week and you got to come back, would you go? Yes. Yes. All right. Um, What is one- Definitively, yes. Definitively, yeah. I just (laughs) want to go. Take me there. Uh, um, What is one- Wouldn't you go? Oh, 100%. 100%. But like there's like (laughs) half the people or more that I uh, interview that say no. And I'm like, blows my mind, but all right. I would go. Yeah, I'd go. Um, what is one material, like expensive material thing that you want to own that, that you do not yet own? Whether maybe it's a car or a house or a, I don't know, your own private jet. Like what's one material thing? Huh. That's weird that I don't have a quick answer for you, Josh. Uh I mean, I'd like to own more rental properties. I'd like to have more passive income. But when it comes to like material, like my wife and I have a 10,000 square foot house. We have a bunch of cars. We have like whatever we want. Like we, we've been independently wealthy for a long time. And so I think like if we want something, we go get it. But I would definitely, I, I, this in this crisis, towards the end, we are going to go deep on rental property. I want to have, so right now our rentals cover our expenses. I want to have it to where our rentals are funding our network are funding our retirement are funding our kids kids lives so this is we're gonna go big on a property right. i don't know i don't think that's what you were looking no, for but, but I hope that's an adequate answer good enough when, when, when you when you have everything that you could want then that's a that's a good enough answer all right last question i have for you we ask this question to everybody that comes on the podcast the final question that we always uh, end it with and that is fast forward to the end of your life you're on your deathbed uh and all of your money success fame impact everything it's all gone except Every single person that you have touched, either directly or indirectly, you get to leave them with one final message or word of advice. What is that message? There is nothing wrong with you and you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you and you're not alone. Yeah. The people who would be there at the end of my life would be the people who have followed me or the people who are in my family or the people who have been around my content. And I think that every one of us has this belief that we need to change or we need to modify ourselves or we need to become something different. But I want every one of us to understand that there is nothing wrong with us and there's, and we are not alone because throughout history, the person who was different or judged or seemed to be uh, not like everybody else was exactly the person who went on to change the world. So my, my goal would be to convince everybody who's there, that they are part of the most important club in history. The people who show up, go into the future, create a new reality, come back to the present and make sure it becomes real. And that is who we are. And for every one of us who has a diagnosis or a disability or an issue or a challenge or whatever it is, there's been somebody just like you and I who's overcome it and gone on to change the world and you can too. That would be my message. Mm. So powerful. Alex Sharfin, thank you so much, man, for coming on. Where can people find out more about you? You know, Josh, I have a podcast too. I think that would be the best place. It's called Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type. You can go to MomentumPodcast.com to check it out. And there's two. There's actually an archive show and then a more recent one. And the first hundred episodes on the archive show are all about the entrepreneurial personality type. So Mm. if anybody's curious, they can go there. Nice, nice. All right, guys, we will link that down below. Be sure to check Alex out. Alex, thank you so much for your time, man. I know it's super valuable. um, And thank you for coming on. Yeah, you got it, Josh. I'm glad we chose to do this podcast. This was actually a lot of fun. Uh, I like your style. 
well. And I'm looking forward to doing something with you in the future again. Absolutely. Guys, as always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are going to be the ones that change the world. I love you all, and I will see you on the next episode. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on, that you like my stuff, and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas, and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh Forty or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.